My name is Mark McGuinness, and this is the 21st Century Creative, the podcast that helps you thrive as a creative professional amid the demands, the distractions, and the opportunities of the 21st century. Welcome to Episode 8 of Season 5 of the 21st Century Creative. This week, my guest is Cynthia Morris, who is here to talk about writing a world-changing book. So, if you are contemplating writing a book, whether it's your first one or your 21st, there's a lot of insight for you in today's interview. And even if you're not a writer, when I listen back to the interview... I realised a lot of the advice applies to pretty well any kind of self-started creative project that involves a lot of dedicated practice and alone time. So, whatever your creative discipline, I think you'll find Cynthia's story and what she has to say about creativity inspiring and useful. Like me, Cynthia is a coach for creatives as well as an author. She is someone I hold in very high esteem, and I'm delighted to welcome her to the show today. Talking of books, and this is something I touched on in the interview with Joanna Penn earlier this season. If you wish you had more time for reading books in the midst of all your responsibilities, then I have a one-word tip for you. Audiobooks. Because I've become a convert to audiobooks over the past few months, and even something of an evangelist about them. You see, a few months ago, I did some thinking, and I realised that one thing I really wanted in my life was more time to read. Given that I spend most of the day creating things and helping clients, and I want to spend time with family outside of that, not to mention learning Japanese, then I took a trial subscription to Audible, And I realised that a lot of the time I spend listening to podcasts while I'm tidying up, doing the dishes and so on, had suddenly opened up as book reading time. And Amazon have an amazing way of syncing ebooks and audiobooks called WhisperSync, which means you can start reading an ebook, then go downstairs or get in the car and switch on the audiobook version of the book, which will then pick up exactly where you left off with the ebook. Then when you finish listening to the audiobook and you pick up the ebook again, it will pick that up at exactly where the audiobook left off. So it's possible to really motor through a book if you do it this way. Now, I realise Amazon isn't everybody's favourite company, but credit where credit's due. They've done a really great job of their WhisperSync system. So that's my hot tip for frustrated readers out there. Um, This isn't an affiliate promotion for Audible. It's just something I discovered for myself and I thought you might like to try. And it's also made me even more determined to record the audiobook versions of my own books when I can find the time between my other creative projects. I mentioned learning Japanese just now. And before we listen to Cynthia's interview... I want to share with you a recent experience I had with my language studies that reminded me of an important principle about creative work. You have to be bad to get good. I've recently started taking one-to-one Japanese conversation lessons. It hasn't been easy. In fact, It's been a little bit of a humbling experience. Between work and family responsibilities, I typically only have 30 minutes a day to study Japanese. And I've spent this time every morning for the past two years memorising kanji characters, vocabulary and grammar patterns. So at this point, in theory, I know a decent amount of basic Japanese. I say in theory because it's one thing to have the information in your head and another to produce it in a conversation, which is why I'm now focusing on listening and speaking skills to achieve some kind of fluency with the material I've accumulated so far. 
After my first one-to-one conversation lesson, my wife Mammy asked me how the lesson went. I said it was like my first driving lesson. I was relieved to have survived without crashing the car, but my pulse was racing, I knew I'd stalled the car three times, forgotten to indicate and almost ran through a red light because I was concentrating on the pedals. We're all bad drivers on our first lesson, and right now I'm bad at Japanese. I can make myself understood, but it's not pretty. I'm very lucky I've got a great teacher in Tepe-sensei, who is very patient and easy to talk to. He has a great podcast too, so if you're learning Japanese, I highly recommend listening to Nihongo Kon Tepe, and that's Tepe, T-E-P-P-E-I. Tepe-sensei has been really nice and kind and patient, but as I say, even so, it's been a bit of a humbling experience because I haven't learned a new language for many years. I'm quite comfortable speaking French, which I learned as a boy. Now, my French is by no means perfect, but I'm used to being able to express myself and discuss just about any topic I want to in this foreign language. So, it's humbling to be a beginner again. I've heard enough Japanese to know how bad I am. I can often hear myself making mistakes as I say them, or failing to recall the meaning of simple words when Tepe-sensei uses them in our conversation and then kicking myself afterwards. But I have to accept being bad if I'm going to get better. There's no shortcut. The more I speak and the less I care about making mistakes, the more I'll learn from my mistakes and the better I'll get. It will take years, but then most skills worth learning do take years. And this is certainly true of a creative discipline. We start off bad, and we have to accept being bad if we're ever to get good. A few years ago, the radio host Ira Glass made a great video about this, where he points out that all of us who get into creative work do it because we have really good taste. We watch great TV, listen to great music, read great literature or whatever, and think... I want to do that. But when we start, we're not as good as that. So there's a gap between our taste and our ability, and that gap is really uncomfortable. In the course of the video, Ira Glass plays a recording of his younger self eight years into his career delivering a radio news segment, and he mercilessly dissects the writing and the rhythm and the intonation of his younger self. He does this to underline how bad he was and how many years it took for him to get good at it. But according to Glass, the real problem isn't the gap between our taste and our ability. This is uncomfortable, but it's also inevitable. The problem is that most people give up because they can't stand the gap. It affronts their sense of who they want to be as a creative, so they give in. Or even worse, they ignore it and they refuse to accept their limitations so they don't learn from their mistakes. And the solution, according to Glass, is to keep going in spite of the gap and to do a lot of work over many years. That's the only way to close the gap. It's long and it's painful, but it's ultimately really rewarding. Because if you think about it, It's the gap that makes it worth pursuing. If it were easy, if there were no gap and anyone could do it straight away, it would be unremarkable. So, if you're struggling in the early stages of a new skill, gambatte kudasai. This Japanese expression means, please do your best, and it's used to encourage people when they're facing a challenge. I'm recording it here, with my beginner's accent, to remind us all of the gap and to encourage us to persist in spite of the gap. If you're enjoying the 21st Century Creative, you may like to know there is more to this podcast than meets the ear. To help you succeed in your creative career or business, I've created an in-depth program 
the 21st Century Creative Foundation course. It covers the personal and professional skills you'll need to succeed as a creative professional in the 21st century. In other words, the stuff they probably didn't teach you at art school, on your creative writing masters, or wherever else you learned your craft. Things like how to manage your time, how to communicate your ideas, how to handle difficult conversations, how to close a sale, how to deal with money, how to grow your network, and how to attract an audience for your work. Altogether, there are 26 lessons in the course, full of practical advice, plus a worksheet for each one to help you put the ideas into practice. And I'm giving you the entire course for free. In case you can't quite believe your ears, go to 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash free course and see for yourself. When you get there, you can sign up with just an email address and you'll get your first lesson right away. By the way, the course has already been taken by over 11,000 students. And on the sign-up page, you'll see lots of testimonials from other creatives whose lives and careers have been changed by the course. You can join them right now for free by going to 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash free course. If you've always wanted to write a book, but you haven't yet found the time or the courage or the persistence to do it, then I recommend you read Cynthia Morris's latest book, The Busy Woman's Guide to Writing a World-Changing Book. Even if you are already a published author, there's plenty of advice and wisdom between its covers for you. Personally, I've written five books, and I found myself stopping and making notes as I read through it about insights that should make writing my next book that bit easier. As the title suggests, Cynthia's book is dedicated to women who want to write a non-fiction book. And she makes a bold claim. Your book can change the world. Only if you write it. She says she wrote it for busy women immersed in running businesses, building careers and caring for loved ones. So she doesn't just help you with how to write the book, she also addresses the big challenge of how to find the time to write the book in the midst of everything else in your life. Cynthia wrote the book primarily with women in mind, but I'm living proof that it works for men too. The book is based on many years of writing and helping others to write. Cynthia has written eight books herself, including a novel, and she's been coaching writers, artists and entrepreneurs since 1999. So there's a lot of accumulated wisdom between its covers. Cynthia and I met virtually on the internet years ago and recognised we were on a similar path. We've occasionally collaborated on audio recordings together, and we got to meet in person a few years back when I was coaching delegates at the 99U conference in New York. She's someone who really gets creatives and their motivations. And I always come away from our conversations with fresh enthusiasm for writing and creating. When she sent me a copy of the, of the latest book, I asked if she would come on the show and share some of its insights with you. The result is a great interview in which Cynthia talks about writing a book as a relationship and as a dialogue or a conversation with your deeper, wiser self. She also introduces us to a surprising way to counterbalance the influence of your inner critic. Towards the end of the conversation, she also shares some great ideas on how to prepare for the launch and the marketing of your book while you're actually writing it without adding to your workload. So, whether this is your first time writing a book, or whether you've written a few and you'd like the next one to be easier than the last one, you'll find plenty to inspire and encourage you in this conversation with Cynthia Morris. Cynthia. What was it like when you wrote your first book? 
Oh, I wrote my first book back in, I think I was writing it in 2002 and it came out in 2003 and it was called Create Your Writer's Life, A Guide to Writing with Joy and Ease. And I didn't think I could write a book because as a coach, all of our, um, the main thing that I was trained with is asking powerful questions good inquiries Mm -hmm. that help people discover their own wisdom and their own um, way of doing things. And so I was like, well, that's the whole basis of my experience. How can I write a book of just questions? That's going to be really boring. And then I, I realized, well, I actually, I do know something. What I did was I went through all of my client notes that I'd been taking over the years from clients or sample client sessions. And I started noticing patterns And I noticed things that people would say in common. Often they would repeat the same things, even using the same words. And then I looked at the homework I gave people. So what were the common challenges that people face when writing? And what were my hopefully unique and useful solutions for them? So that's what I did to make that first book. And what I I think of that book, The Create Your Writer's Life, is really... It's a book about how to fit writing into your life. It's addressing a lot of the things that that you don't hear about in writing workshops or other places, like how to deal with the emotional labor that goes along with writing, the, the, the inner challenges as well as the the outer obstacles. The, I've, I've discovered over the years that like, time management and setting setting up your your writing life is really only a small part of it. It might be thirty percent. The rest of it is how do you manage your own thoughts and opinions and fears and beliefs about the writing. So that's, that's what that book is. And that's pretty much what most of my work is about. And what challenges did you encounter when you were writing the book? And, and also what discoveries did you make about yourself? Writing a book is hard. It's, it's not an easy (laughs) thing. It's, you know, I've, I've, the, the way I think of it is it's really challenging to hold a whole book in your head. So organizing the material was really challenging and how to, um, you know, what to put in and where to put it and how to include it. And I'd be in the bathtub and I'd be like, oh, I have to remember to mention that. And then I'd go and write that and then realize I'd already written it. So, (laughs) you know, like having a sense of organization and is, is a challenge. And then I remember one day thinking like, how do I how do I structure this and how do I organize this? There's just some like clever way I can do it, like calling them stepping stones or something. And then I realized, oh, chapters, like (laughs) chapters exist for a reason. Like I don't have Mm -hmm. to invent anything. I can just call it chapter one and chapter two. So, um, so those are some of the challenges. I think the biggest challenge was really, um, how to organize it. And then the first version was an ebook and how to get it online. This was before PayPal. This was before um, the ease of selling things online. So I had to apply for a merchant account. I had to submit documentation. I had to prove that I actually had something to sell and I wasn't some charlatan. It was, it was, that was really daunting and very difficult. And then the following year, I decided to make it into a print book. And so I had to go through the process of hiring a designer to design the interior of the book and the cover. So that um, those are some of the challenges. And what I learned about myself, it's, it's, so while I say it's really difficult to write a book, it's also incredibly empowering to actually finish something and to have Mm. your ideas and your thoughts, you know, this feeling like to have it in a form that people can take and read and pass around and use and benefit from. That's really empowering. And once you do one, you can do more, you know how to do it, you know yourself and you have that confidence like, Oh, I did it. I actually pulled it across the finish line. I can do others. Yeah, I think that really resonates with my experience. I think all the way through the first one, it was like maybe what it must feel like when somebody runs a marathon for the first time. There's that, but can I really get to the finish line feeling about the whole thing? And then when you do, then it's a huge boost to your confidence. And of course, well, you know, oh, I can do this again. Yeah. 
And I think you're right. That is really the prevailing question that most of us have when writing a book is, can I do it? Or doing anything, pulling off any project, launching a podcast or a program or anything is, can I do it? And so often we feel that as a kind of an insecurity jab. It's like, well, I don't know. I don't know if I can do it. And the inner critic's like, well, I don't know if you can do it either. You you better be able to pull this <laughs> off. Or, I don't know. You've never done anything like this. So um, what I've learned to do with the other books that I've written, the novel in particular, is to turn that into a sense of curiosity and to really tap into my value of curiosity. Like, can I do it? I don't know. I, I can't wait to see how it turns out. I let me see what happens. So I think you can often turn things into a positive that way where it seems like it's about insecurity, but you can turn it into maybe curiosity or something else. Yeah, that's really nice, isn't it? If the flip side is, can I really do this? Well, you could say, can I really do this? I mean, you could say that in a very doubtful, fearful way, but also you could say it in a curious way. Yeah. And then, I don't know, let's see. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's good. I know how we can find out. So. The Busy Woman's Guide to Writing a World-Changing Book is your eighth book, is that right? Yes. Okay. And I'm sure you have different reasons for and, and different motivations for different books. What was your big why for writing this particular book? I have been working with people to help them write for, for 20 years. This is my 20-year anniversary. And I would encounter, you know, be working with clients and we would be talking about one of the challenges they had. And then I would say, what about this? Or here's, here's a way you can look at this or try this. And they would try it and they would have such a profound experience of complete transformation of the way they thought about something or did something that really helped them move along. And I just was like, more, more people should know this. I, I see the value this is providing for the, the handful of clients I'm working with. Why not have this for more people. So that was a big motivator, um, just to have more people have access to this and, and simple ways to do it, to, to make something that's very complex, a simple process. And then um, the other thing is I lead a year-long group coaching program called the Atelier. And in that program, everybody has to focus on, or gets to focus on one project throughout the year. And the point of that is to stay with it, even when it gets difficult, when you want to do something um, something easier, go back to the beginning. And I uh, act as a participant as well. So I have to choose a project to work on as well. So last year I had to choose a project and it was between this book and another book that I wanted to write. And at the last minute, I switched to this one because I felt like it was more connected to the work I do in my business and what I want for people. So last year I wrote the whole thing. And then this year the project was to publish it. It came out in in spring and then promote it. And that's been great because I don't know about you, but promoting things is not my favorite thing. I just tend to move on to the next thing right away. So (laughs) it's, it's been so great to be in this group as a participant having to stay with it, modeling how like, yeah, I'm kind of done with this or I don't feel like it or I don't want to show up, but I'm staying with it anyway. So um, that was that was another, it was a container for writing this book and a reason to stay with it. And why did you write the book for the busy woman? Well, I wrote it for the people that come to me for coaching to, to get help writing books. And it's mostly women. It's probably 80% women who are professional women who have a book that they want to write that's going to um, get their message out to the world. So I wrote it for the people that I know well. I know these, these, these people very well. I know their challenges. I know the kind of things they're going to bump up against. And it's like any business or product that you create. You start with the, the, the person you're making it for and what is the problem you want to solve. So the problem that I wanted to solve with this book is people who want to write a book. It's it's not just for work. It's not just a good idea. The, the people I work with usually have write a book on their bucket list. They really want to be a writer or get a book out there. Um, so it solves that problem of how to get started because that's the thing that no one really knows. Like, ah, I don't know where to start. 
So solving that problem and then solving the problem of how do I do this in a busy schedule? People are incredibly busy. They don't um, know how to fit it into their lives. So I wrote it in a way that makes it hopefully easy to to get it into your life even when you're very busy. So short chapters, short um, exercises that get them right into the writing. There are no case studies or stories in this book. I don't really want anyone sitting around reading it. I want people to read it and, and go. And then in terms of women, I I believe we need more balance of women in power and more balance of women's voices in the world. And when women write a book, they gain so much confidence. So um, claiming your power, claiming your confidence, claiming your contribution to the world, to helping solve the problems that we're seeing now. So I'm a real stake for women to claim their voice and claim their power. It's also perfectly useful for men too. So the men that I've given this to and have been reading it, they're like, this works for me as well. And the other thing just to throw in there that's really surprised me is that I'm hearing that people are using this to write things other than books. Like a client is working on, Mm. yeah, her Patreon. um, And she's using it to write posts for Patreon. And another client says she's carrying it around because it encourages her to write her articles for her blog. So I'm loving that it's not really just about writing a book. It's not really just for women. It's actually useful as a tool for writers of all genres and all genders. Yeah, just just to share a couple of things from my own experience. of <laughs> the, the book arrived, and I think I told you this, within five minutes of me opening the, the parcel from you, my wife, Mammy, who's writing her first book, looked at it and said, it's for me. And she grabbed it and disappeared with it and devoured it. And she loves it. She, she's, she said it, it really felt like you were writing with her in mind and her particular situation and challenge and dreams in mind. And then, so I can confirm it works for the target uh, reader. And on the other hand, when I did eventually get a copy back and I read it myself, I, you know, I'm a guy, as probably people can hear. (laughs) (laughs) And I got a huge amount out of it too. I I think, you know, there is some great stuff where you talk about maybe there are particular challenges that that women might have in in terms of life situation and and so on but really there's i would say that it was pretty well applicable across the board so so gentlemen if you are dreaming of writing a book and dreaming rather than writing then i thoroughly recommend that you check out Cynthia's book yeah thank you for that i you know i as i was coming out with it there's a lot about gender and um non-binary. And so I felt very nervous at one point of like, oh no, have I messed up? Is this wrong to target a specific kind of person? It should be inclusive. It should be for everybody. And it is inclusive. It is for everybody. I don't intend to exclude anybody, but the feeling that your wife felt when she saw it, this is for me. Um, I, I, I want that feeling. I want people to feel recognized and heard and gotten and spoken to. And that is, I think, a powerful thing. And one of the things that's really important when you're writing a book that you know who it's for, that it's directed toward a reader. One of my clients um, had several different audiences in mind and she she wrote a first draft and it was kind of for all of them and it was it was all over the place. And she felt it right away when she was reading it afterward. And I noticed right away you really want to be meeting your reader, meeting that that person, identifying their problems and helping them solve it. It will be such a more powerful book and, and help them much more quickly when you can do that. So just one more question about the readership before we plunge into the, the book itself. Were you primarily thinking of fiction writers as you wrote this or did you have non-fiction writers in mind as well? I, I think that this book can apply to fiction writers as well. It is definitely geared toward a non-fiction book and, and in general a book that's um, related to your work. But I think there are some pieces in here about mindset and having a writing practice, developing your prompts, um, using free writing. There are, let's let's say, at least half of the book I think can apply to fiction. And I've got 
clients who are writing novels who have said that they're using this book. So I think it it is for that. It's not geared toward plot or character development or things like that. I do recommend a couple of books in in the book that are related to writing novels. It's also, I would say that 50% is also relevant to poets. So having, in, in the final stages of finishing my own first collection of poetry, I would say a lot of, a lot of the same principles apply as well. Great. That's great to know. So let's delve into some of the insights from the book. You know, we've kind of established the, the why. In terms of the what, you, uh, you've got some lovely, your chapter titles, when I mean, you can skim through, and this is my first way into the book, was skim through the chapters and home in on the ones that, that really spoke to me to begin with. One that you have very early on, which I think is quite intriguing, is commit to a monogamous relationship with your book. What do you mean by that? Yeah, that's a great question. And this also speaks to the way um, women are either, whether they're that way naturally or we're enculturated this way, we're very relationship oriented. It's very hard to say no to um, people in our our lives. We feel guilty if we're taking time from ourselves. So I thought, if I frame this as a, another relationship versus an obligation or a to-do, and how do you have a good relationship with it? How do you commit to writing and having writing dates and not standing yourself or your book up. When I when I present this perspective to to people, they love it. They're like, oh yeah, I get that. I get that feeling of being in relationship. So how do you make it a lively relationship, a fun relationship, an engaging relationship, one that both you feed and feeds you versus here's this to-do list, to-do to item on my list that I have to do or I've got to struggle with figuring it out. The other thing about writing a book, Mark, and you probably have experienced this, is the book has a life of its own. Every single yes. person I've ever known or ever worked with, myself included, has this experience where they they think, I'm the expert or I'm the, the person in the know, I'm the dictator, I'm going to dictate this book or make make it happen. And then the book has its own influence its own either the way it wants to be told the the structure of it what it needs to be it it changes from what it is in our mind so you kind of have to meet the book or meet the project and see what's there versus i'm in charge i'm controlling this whole thing and especially once we can let go of that control the the process becomes a lot more dynamic and interesting and fun. It's like, okay, what what's the book, what it's going to come out today? What's it going to be like now? Which is, for me, the real attraction of writing. Mm. Because if you knew it already, it wouldn't be worth sitting down and discovering it. And when we had my poetry teacher, Mimi Calvati, on a few seasons ago, we, we ended up calling the interview Poetry as Discovery because mm. she kept using that word to describe how she writes. She says, well, I write to discover what I think or what I feel or maybe what I don't feel about a subject. And that's, you know, I, I absolutely agree. You know, everything that I've written, certainly every book, once you're, my phrase is, once you're inside the book, then you start to discover mm. things everywhere. I mean, you can be out walking and you notice something that gives you an idea or you have a conversation or you mm. read something else. And it's it's got to have that life. And that's that's the really fun part, is discovering what that book's all about. Yeah. And if you think of it as a dialogue or a conversation, I think it's much more dynamic and interesting versus I'm just, you know, writing what my expert self knows. That can, that can feel like a lot of pressure. Yeah. And talking of pressure, and also you, you were talking about the inner critic earlier on. I love the fact that you have matched against the inner critic or balancing it, you have the inner champion, mm. which I've not come across before. T tell us about the inner champion. This, yeah, this is another thing that has emerged from the writing. I use free writing as, um, as the technique to write everything. So that's what I talk about in the book. It's what I teach in my workshops. It's what I use to write everything where you just set a timer, choose a prompt that's based on what you want to write and just go and write freely without editing or stopping yourself. So free writing can be used to write your material. It also can be used to as a reflection tool or to process what's going on inside you. So if you're if you're feeling insecure or afraid or anxious or unable to write, 
you can often um, just write out what the inner critic is saying. Just get it out. Like you, you don't know what you're talking about. You, someone's already written this. This isn't going to be good enough. What happens when you're writing like that is it doesn't take long before the inner champion emerges and says, well, you know, but, but you do know what you're talking about. And <laughs> we, we don't know if it's going to be good or not. You just get to try and see. And so it's, it's crazy how in our minds, these voices, this, this inner critic just kind of runs rampant. But the minute you sit down and kind of give it, give it the microphone or give it some space to express itself, it just runs out of steam. It doesn't really have two mm. legs to stand on. And the inner champion emerges to say, you know what? You actually are um, valid and worthy or whatever you know your fears are. So I've seen that happen again and again with myself and other people. So I was like, well, let's bring this out as a character. We know that inner critic voice very well. Let's bring out this inner champion and actually bring her, her or him onto the team. So it's that part of you that knows you can do it. It's that encouraging part. It's a part of you that if you were talking to a friend or your child, and and I always refer, like if you're a parent, you've got a lot of great skills for writing or creating or doing creative projects because you're parenting in a way that's that's kind and compassionate and encouraging. So you already know that mm-hmm. part of you. You just need to turn that that voice and that part of you to yourself and your project. Give yourself the benefit. Yes. You also, in the book, you talk about the, I love the phrase you use, the immediate benefits of writing. And I'm, that was one of the chapters I read first because, you know, a book particularly, it's a long-term project. It can feel like, well, if I slog away, if I suffer for X number of months, then I'll have something eventually to show the world. And and that will be my reward and benefit. But so tell me what are the immediate benefits? Yeah, that's so important because um, it is a long haul and it's a thankless job and it can take years. It took, it took me 12 years to write my novel. And I know that um, a lot of times, you know, we'll let our friends know that we're writing and they'll be like, still working on that book? And <laughs> yes, it's mm-hmm. taking forever. It just takes a lot of time. So in order to kind of buoy ourselves along and give ourselves some um, more fuel for the journey, I invite people to really recognize how it feels to, to do the work. And some days it's frustrating. Some days you hate it. Some days you want to give up. But in, at the end of the day, doing it is satisfying because you're showing up for yourself. You're honoring that commitment that you made to do the work. And I feel you know, speaking for myself, I feel very much in integrity when I'm doing what I said I would do. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really important to me. That's another one of my values, that integrity, doing what I say I'll do, even to myself. So there's a lot of satisfaction in that. And I've also noticed after I write, I feel really alive. I feel energized. I feel sexy. Yeah. I feel my vitality. And that feels great. And that spreads out into the rest of my life. So even if I'm not finishing the book today or finishing an article today, I've committed to it. I've danced with the muse, so to speak. You know, I've given that part of me space and I feel my vitality. So I, I want that for everybody. Even if it's like, oh, today was a slog, um, I still feel like I showed up for it. And um, this, I don't think I wrote about this in the book, but this kind of goes along with procrastination. I'm not a procrastinator because I I'm I can't bear the pain of the anxiety of having something sitting there that I have to do. So it's not that I'm so on top of it and need to in getting things done early. It's that I just I can't stand the pain of <laughs> the anxiety of knowing I have to do it. So the people who are procrastinators, I like kudos to you because you can bear the anxiety if that over time. So that's also one of the benefits that you can glean immediately is like, oh, I'm not, I'm not putting this off. It's not sitting there in that, that space of, oh, someday I'll do this. The, the power that you get, the confidence that you glean from doing it now feels way better to me than the anxiety of not doing it. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely one of the reasons I like to write early. I like to write in the morning. And then it's, I've got the kind of the afterglow, you know, when you've been, you've been work, working out, 
it feeds into the rest of my day. So I feel like, well, I've done my thing. I, I'm plugged in. I'm I'm energized now. And then my clients get the benefit of that when I work with them in the afternoon. And it's so much easier to help other people and focus on their priorities, whether it's clients or family or friends or children or or whoever. If if I've done something great for myself today and, and writing absolutely feels like that by the time I, I get to the end of it, even if it's not right there up front in the beginning. Yes, yes. And that, that you do feel that throughout the day versus the pain of like, oh, I need to do that. Or I'll get to that. And I love the word you use. I love that afterglow. That's a great way to describe it. And the other thing is I get to call myself a writer all day right. without having to, do, having, having to do any more in the afternoon. Yes. So I yes. quite like that. Okay, so we're up and running. We've got, we've committed to this monogamous relationship. We are listening to the inner champion and experiencing the some of the immediate benefits of, of getting going. But you know, there's always going to be the the plateau in the middle, the you know, the long stretch when you're you know you're in the middle of the book, and it feels like you've been here for a long time. Can you give us some ideas on? how we can keep ourselves motivated and sustain the writing practice during that period? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think always remembering why you're doing it. Often it's a book that you're writing is related to your work. And so you're in touch with the people you're working with and seeing the results of your work with them that can buoy you up. Uh, I was working with a client yesterday who was in this place of just like, oh, like this is hard and I don't like it. And I don't even care about trying to make it fun. It's just like, oh, and I brought up what we talked about at the beginning of our coaching, which was why is she doing this? What's the impact she wants this book to have? It's not just writing a fictional book or a series of, of novels. It's like the ultimate impact she wants to have on her readers and the difference that's going to make in the world and why that's absolutely vital now. So sometimes that can can have the opposite effect where it becomes too much pressure. But often I think getting out of our own selves, it's not just about me and and I'm doing this for me because I've always wanted to write a book, but I, I know this is going to do something in the world. It's going to make a difference. So tapping into that bigger picture, that why can be helpful. Um, having somebody in on it with you. So either a coach or a writing community, what I've seen with most of the people I work with really crave some connection with community. Some being in it with other people is really, really helpful. And if you don't have that in person, there are lots of places to find that online or working one-on-one with people. A lot of um, the clients I work with one-on-one, they don't have time for a group. They don't it doesn't meet their schedule or their needs. They really just want to have one-on-one. But um, so remembering why you're doing it, looking at what are those immediate benefits. Um, often too, Mark, it's a matter of just pausing and looking back at what you've done. We're very good at looking forward and we finish something and, okay, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? Yeah, We're very bad at relishing what we've already done. It's almost as if we think if we if we just take some enjoyment or appreciate what we've done that we'll we'll somehow become a trophy to, or fall off and won't we'll, we'll be able to keep going. But often there's a time when if you're just like, ah, what am I doing? Where am I at? Printing it up and looking at it. And I know um That's yeah, that's always satisfying, isn't it? When it's a thing. Yes. Yes, it's a thing. And often we don't print it up. We're just kind of endlessly scrolling online. And when you print it up, it gives you um, that that object that you can see, oh, look, a pages have accrued here. Something's happening. Mm-hmm. It also helps you to just see the material more clearly. Okay, here's where I'm at. Here's what I've done. Here's what's left to do. So often it's taking a moment to just pause and reflect. Why am I doing this? Where am I at? What am, what is it doing for me in the now, and what do I need to keep going? I want to pick up on this phrase "world changing" because it's in the title, and and also you used it a couple of minutes ago talking about the whys for writing a book. What would you say to someone who's listening and thinking, "Well, but is my idea really world changing, or can I really do it in a way that it's going to change the world?" Is that yeah. is that not too ambitious? Am I am I getting you know above my station here? Absolutely. I love that because 
I am not of the, I don't generally go around saying like, go big and you can be huge and you can change the world and you can do all this. Like, it's really not how that doesn't motivate me. I, I don't like going big. It's like, no, I just want to be cozy here. Like, don't like, <laughs> I don't need to be, I don't need to be Oprah, you know, I, and yeah. I think a lot of people feel that. But what I've experienced is that when you write a book, it changes your world. So that's mm-hmm. the, the basic premise. If no one's world is changed by your own, you have changed the world. Because as you've said, when you write your relationship with your family and your clients is different. So that has a ripple effect. So changing the world can be a lot um, smaller than you know having some big stage or being some big influencer or thought leader. It can be the person who's walking around smiling at people and engaging with people because they feel good about themselves and confident because they've written a book that has a ripple effect. So that's like the first level of it. And then, you know, the thing about writing a book or creating anything and putting it out there, you have no idea what it's going to do. Once you put a piece of art or Mm. poetry or a book out in the world, it's its own thing. And it's kind of no longer your responsibility the world will interact with it and have its way with it and its say with it and do with it what it will. So we don't really know what it's doing or how it's changing the world. You've probably experienced this where you'll meet somebody in person and they'll say, I've been reading your newsletter, your blog for years or listening to your podcast and you totally changed my life. And you're like, I had no idea. <laughs> so Yeah, yeah, it's, that's great. It's, occasionally I'll meet that person, they'll come for coaching, and they say, well, I've been reading your newsletter for 10 years. And you think, really? <laughs> wow. And it's easy to take for granted what you've already done. Yeah. But, you know, who, who knows what would be the right, the right message at the right time for the right person? Mm-hmm. So I am a stand for our creative expression. I believe that if you have the impulse to write or make things you have to follow it. You have no idea whether it's going to be any good or whether it's going to go anywhere or do anything, but you have to follow it for your own, first for your own satisfaction. And then who knows what it will do. So it's, you know, the world changing thing, um, you know, like it starts off kind of as this humble thing, like you're changing your own world and it could change the world. And I remember when I put the title out on my Facebook page to just, you know, kind of check it out and test it and see what people thought about it. And the world changing thing really caught people and like, Oh, I don't know. I don't know if I, you know, that seems kind of too big. Can you ratchet it down a little bit? Uh, And I was like, you know, and what did your inner coach say to that? Ratchet it well, down. <laughs> well, you know, I wrote an article years ago about this whole thing. Like, we're either too much or we're not enough. It's like, okay, well, what, mm. where's the middle? Like, there is no, right. there is no knowing middle. Like, so I was like, you know what? I I really am going to take a stand for for the impact that we can have with a book. It may change the world. It may be big. It may change your world. But I'm not backing down on this. I'm taking a stand that you and your work and your ideas and your books matter and to not like play small. So try it and see. See what happens. See what, how it changes your world and then see how it changes the, the larger world. Well, as you say that, I mean, I'm, I'm in the office and I'm looking at my bookshelves and I'm seeing how many books, mostly poetry, have changed my life. Yeah. And I, my, I'm not the same person for having read them. And so, you know, who's who's to stop you listening to this from adding to, you know, the the world changing books that are out there? Mm. And also, I mean, when I saw your title, I I thought I lo- first of all I thought I love the daring of that. And also, I thought about it, and I realized, you know, if I'm thinking about writing a world changing book. Well, you know, no matter how insanely confident or incredibly doubtful I am, I'm probably going to write a bigger and more ambitious book than I would have written if you mm. hadn't put that thought in front of me. You mm. know, is is it is this world changing? Could it be more? Well, you know, could you be more ambitious here? I love the boldness in it. Thanks, Mark. I, you know, the weird thing is, like we, and you know, this we need this sense of um, boldness and humility, and we. I, I, when I was writing this book, one day I was like, this is great. This is going to be great. Oh, people are going to love it. This is going to really change the world. And then the next day I was writing and it was like, oh, 
I don't know. As has been said before, <laughs> everybody knows this. I don't need to write it. And it was so perfect, that juxtaposition of those two um, commentaries on the process. I was like, yeah. okay, if I believe this or I believe this, neither are true, both are true. It doesn't matter what my my ideas about it are. All I need to do is just keep showing up and writing the book. And however it turns out, all, all I can say is, have I shown up? Have I done the very best I can? Mm-hmm. And that's all we can do. And and to just sort of let all of that commentary, our fears and beliefs about how good it is, really are irrelevant to the actual work. And on the theme of boldness, another a really big idea that I found in the in the book is write a manifesto for your book. Can you tell us more about why you would write a manifesto and how it can help you write the actual book? Yeah, a manifesto. You know, one one of the things that people get stuck on with writing a book is writing the introduction. And it's to me, it's like a stand and deliver moment. It's the big, here's what this book is about. Here's why I'm writing it. And here's what's in the book. And often I find that we try to write that at the beginning. We're going to have trouble. We don't know what's in it. We haven't con- earned the confidence that we get by the time we get to the end. So we still want to have some sort of rallying, some sort of like, here's here's why this matters. So I like the idea of writing a manifesto because a manifesto is, to me, it's about the impact you want to have. So the this book is going to do this, and this book is for this. It's for these people to have this sort of emotional or intellectual impact. And that this is the difference that this book is going to make in the world once it's out there. So it's really a moment of taking a stand, not as a um, as a kind of stand and deliver or proving moment, like let me just prove to you that I know what I'm talking about and that this book, this book, and this idea is valid. It's more of here's what I care about. Here's what I'm so impassioned by. Here's why I must do this, and here's why you must read it. And that is my intention: is that that fires you up. Um, when I came to think about books as I was writing this and even writing that part about the manifesto is that a book is a passion shared. You have to be really passionate about something to write a whole book about it. And that you have that inner fire, that inner passion really fuels the book writing. And then once you have it, you can say, here, here's what I'm passionate about. Take this and check it out and see if it ignites something in you. And then a reader can say, wow, this was great. And I'm sharing this passion with somebody else. So a book is a way to share that passion. The manifesto is kind of a way to distill that passion down into just a few simple sentences that can hopefully serve to remind you why you're doing it. I love it. And so following our imaginary writer, as she's going through the journey of the book, you know, she's got started, she's, she's overcome the critic and the other obstacles, she's found a way to stay connected to the big why in order to produce this world-changing book. And as you get towards the end, inevitably there's, you know, the, the thoughts of, okay, but how am I going to sell this? Where am I going to promote it? Who am I? Who, is there anybody out there who's going to going to want to read this and there's a lovely chapter near the end where you talk about capturing promotional ideas while writing could you expand on that a little bit please yeah that was well first i just have to say like i don't know that there's really any conquering the inner critic the inner critic is kind of there along the way and that was something (laughs) that you know like it's a daily thing it's just like yeah still here there you are okay well i'm gonna write anyway this was what surprises me with my clients. They're very smart. They're very accomplished. They're really into their topic and they still face these issues on an ongoing basis. And I was like, oh, yeah. okay. My my problem as a coach was like thinking they're so smart. They're accomplished. They can, they've done other huge things. They can do this one too. But there's something about writing a book that really calls on us to really root in our belief in what we're doing. And even if we don't know how to, we know very well what we're doing in our professional work, writing a book still is something that is a specific thing to learn. So um, I was really surprised by that. that, that And so that's why I really wanted this book to be there as a reminder throughout the whole process. Like 
when you start feeling like you're failing, when you're freaking out and thinking you don't know what you're doing, that's normal. That is totally Mm -hmm. part of the process. That is just baked into writing a book. It's not you. It's not that you're inherently inept or not good. So that that's really something important I wanted to say there. Um, but in terms of capturing promotional ideas while writing the book, I think that often happens alongside where we are thinking about what am I, you know, how am I going to get this out there? What am I going to say? So I noticed as I was writing this book, there would, and you see this in blog posts and articles, like tweet this, this is a tweetable. So it's kind of in that same vein when you're writing something and you're like, okay, this is what I say all the time. This is something that I repeat to my clients or in my classes. That's something to highlight or make bold. Yeah. And that that you can use that later as like, you know, how you'll see a social media image or um, just a background with a word or a sentence. You can just put that sentence there. So kind of capturing those along the way. And the thing that I noticed that was really great about doing that, for me at least, was I would put my thought down like, oh, that's the tweetable. And then I was like, well, it's not really a tweetable. I need to write that. I need to make that more concise and really clear so that you can grab that at a glance. So by capturing your promotional ideas like that, or, or you know, the pull-out quotes or the phrases, it, it forces you to, to be a better writer along the way and really kind of clarify your thoughts. Yeah. So you can also like, what's the basic concept of the book? And, you know, we've talked about this book, you know, it's for busy women and it's about changing the world, writing a book. So I could write one, a blog article about that. Um, or, you know, when I do get the introduction, the introduction can be used as a standalone piece. So pieces that, um, it, that can be a standalone piece. It's a great way to think about, okay, this one is something I can use later. So for instance, like the whole first section of my book, which is dealing with some of the the challenges or issues that are going to arise with a book, I've pulled all of those out and those have been standalone articles that I've posted on my blog throughout the year. So kind of having that in mind as you go, like what are some things I can excerpt? Um, quizzes and tests are fun things to use that you can think about like, okay, how could this be a quiz? So one of the chapters in my book is um, about making sure that you actually have space to write a book because often busy people really, no matter how, <laughs> no matter what anybody else does, they just literally don't have the space to, to add something else in. So turning that chapter into a quiz, like, do you really have space? Like t- test it out, stuff like that, that make it fun that you can use later. Mm-hmm. Um, I talk about a book is a way to be a conversation leader. And a book is a way to lead the kinds of conversations that you want to have. So looking at that and thinking about it that way, you can look at the themes in your book. What are some of the underlying themes that that I want to talk about? So it's not directly talking about, here's how to sit down and write, but it's like, here's why you must write, or here's why I want more women to write, or here's you know what, what busy is doing in our lives. So some of the, the themes that you're writing about can be pulled out so you can, what I usually do is I'll have another document that's just ideas for promoting the book later. And as I'm writing, I'm like, oh, this is something that I could, this could be a talking point. So wanting to go on podcasts was one of the ways I wanted to share about the book. So what are some talking points as I was writing the book, really pulling some of those things out? Um, so you're not switching and putting the cart before the horse. You're you're not switching gears into thinking about publishing promotion. You're, you just have a document going the whole time that you're capturing ideas. I love that because, I mean, for one thing, if it's, to me, the most effective promotion is the stuff that is authentic and it's aligned with the true spirit and message of the book. And what I like about this perspective is if, you know, if you look closely, you've probably done a lot of the promotional work already. You know, you've got the material there and it's just a question of, taking it out and, and using it so yeah so that's that's great particularly when we get to the end of the project and we think oh gosh have i got to start the, the promotion now um well actually if you've already started then that becomes a lot easier yes and also you know the whole year i was writing it writing is not a very vis- visual um medium but here i am at the cafe and here i am at the botanic gardens and you know just sharing images of like 
just teasing it out the whole year. I'm writing this book. It's coming. And just briefly talking about it and then, you know, sharing the title and getting people's opinions about that so that when it did come out, it wasn't, oh, you wrote a book. Oh, people have been waiting for it. Hopefully they've been waiting for it. So you're right, like getting to the end of it and then suddenly, oh, now I've got to think about promotion. It's really, no one wants to be in that position. Cynthia, thank you so much. You have given us a, a real wealth of wisdom and tips and insight around the topic of writing a book. And of course, well, being a coach yourself, I know you don't like to end any conversation with without the next steps and, and what are we going to do. And so this is the point of the show where if you're new to the show as a listener, then this is where I ask my guest to set you, the listener, a creative challenge. So this is a task that is related to the theme of the interview. And it's something that you can do within or get started on within seven days of listening to this conversation. So Cynthia, what's your creative challenge? I love this. Yeah, this is a a great chance to get everybody into action. Um, So I've mentioned free writing and free writing, in case you're not familiar with it, is a very simple technique. You set a timer, you use a prompt, and you write without stopping. You write without correcting, you write without worrying about making sense or um, it being correct grammatically or anything like that. And the point is to get into the flow, to get out of kind of the thin layer of the the top of your mind and into a, a deeper place where you're in that flow state that we so love. So to do a free write, um, with a prompt, I must write this book. I must write this book because, and then, or if this works for any project, if you're not writing a book, say you want to launch a podcast or you want to launch a business, any art form, I must do this thing because set the timer and you said seven days. So let's just say seven minutes, seven to 10 minutes, set the timer Mm -hmm. and write nonstop without censoring yourself. You'll get very clear about why this is important to you now And then after you've written that, go back through and read it over and highlight or underline any words or phrases or sentences that really glow or light up or really, really hit the nail on the head for you about why you do it. And what you want to do from that is to pull together a sentence or a phrase that is your rallying cry. And someone might call it like, this is your why. I like it as your rallying cry, because this is what will remind you why you're doing this. If you forget, if you lose track, if you go off path, if you suddenly want to do something else, another bright, shiny project, this will help you remember why this must be done. I love the rallying cry. That's going to get me started in the morning. (laughs) Good, good. Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes we forget, why am I doing this? And then there's just a short, simple phrase. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Reminds you. Okay, Cynthia, thank you so much for your wisdom and insight today. If you're listening to this, you found the conversation helpful and inspiring. I really encourage you to get the book, The Busy Woman's Guide to Writing a World-Changing Book, whether you're a busy woman or a busy man. And... Cynthia, as well as the book, obviously you have coaching uh, one-on-one, you have writing programs. Where should people go to get more help from you? Yeah. Well, first, thanks for having me on, Mark. You're such a delight and such a contribution to the world for creatives and others. And I loved our conversation. So thank you for having me. Um, You can find everything about what I do and more at my website, originalimpulse.com. Excellent. And obviously, we will make sure that the links to the book and the website are right there in the show notes as usual. So, Cynthia, thank you so much. I think I may be dipping into this next time I get started on my uh, my next book or even my next podcast season. And I'm sure I won't be alone in that. So thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it, Mark. You have been listening to the 21st Century Creative, hosted by Mark McGuinness. You can find the notes for today's show, as well as all the backlist episodes of the podcast, at 21stCenturyCreative.fm. If you enjoyed the show, then I hope you'll subscribe in iTunes, and I'm always grateful for your reviews, 
and also for sharing the show with your friends and followers. If you'd like my help applying the ideas in the show to your own situation, you're welcome to join us in the 21st Century Creative Patreon group at patreon.com slash the 21st Century Creative. And if you are an experienced creative and you're curious about getting my help as a private coaching client, then the first step is to go to 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash coaching questions and answer the questions on that page. And I'll be in touch with you as soon as I've reviewed your answers. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll join me again soon.